Hello, this is Tracy Vandevent with Little Things First Podcast. And this is Jim Martin with Little Things First, and we are so excited to be here with you today. Thank you so much. Now, Jim, I just have to take a little side note here to say I'm always so grateful that you are if I could be so bold to say kind of a, like a research geek where like you're always reading on blogs and you're on Twitter and you're researching and you're reading books. And I am so grateful because you are the one that helps us uncover these like new thinker thinkers, these, these cutting edge, uh, you know, educational leaders. And today I, I haven't heard of this guest before. So tell us about who, who are we going to talk to today? We're going to talk to Rochelle Danae Poff. I think that's how you say her name. But okay. again, you know, it's one of those cases where <laughs> we're you, hoping you see their name in print and you don't necessarily know how to pronounce it. But anyway, um, I came into contact with Rochelle on the Twitter, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, um, she is uh, pretty active on Twitter and also blogs and writes books and uh, talks a lot about virtual education. So I okay. think we could really benefit from talking to her today. We're kind, of, we're kind of in the virtual land right now with our COVID-19 experiences. Or a mix thereof. Or yeah. a mix thereof. So let's call her. Okay, let's do it. Ringy dingy. Hi, Rochelle. This is uh, Jim Martin. Hi, Jim. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm I'm breathing, so that's good. Yeah, that is good. Breathing is good. <laughs> oh, my gosh. After this well, last, uh, however long it's been, seven months, but the last couple of weeks have really been uh, a complete overload. Yeah. There's no, I mean, just with all of the work that I do, there's no definitive break, nor can I... People say, yeah, take the day off, you know, don't answer an email. And I'm like, I said, do you understand? I get, and on most days, I have no less than 250 emails. And I mean, that's just emails. You know, I have the LinkedIn and the Twitter and you name it, everything. So I said, I probably get about 800 messages a day, at least. Yeah, and we could, we got you to squeeze us in I here know, between you. 12 and 12.30, you know, probably, <laughs> we, probably your lunch break. So. Uh, but, you know, it's kind of uh, funny because I don't, my husband always says, why do you schedule things on, on the weekends, you know? And I said, well, because I do the consulting work or something. Mm-hmm. And just during the week when I'm teaching, I mean, I can't, I, I mean, I, most of my days are booked. There were a couple of days this week where I started at 6 a.m. just because somebody I was talking to was in India. So for them, mm-hmm. you know, like that time worked. And then by the time I finished at night, it was, I don't know, 12 or one. And uh, wow. I said, because sometimes it's easier for me with that overflow yeah. to schedule on the weekend. So, um, but ironically, I did eat, but I ate really quickly because I was supposed to have a call, a podcast at one, and <laughs> it uh, they canceled it <laughs> at like five to one. And so I, I hurried up and I ate. I was going to, um, whatchamacallit, uh, I was going to wait for my husband to eat because he had to run to the store. And then I thought, no, I don't have time because I'm going to do this. So I sat down and the message came through. I'm like, oh, are you kidding me right now? So, <laughs> Well, I'm here yeah. with my colleague, Tracy Vandeventer. Hi, Rochelle. Hello. Hi, how are you? We are so grateful that you are squeezing us in because we think some of the work you've been doing is really important. No wonder you're busy. Everybody wants to know what you know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I know that I spend a lot of time in front of the computer and, and all of that stuff. So, 
I don't know. I wish osmosis were actually a thing for bringing knowledge yeah. right into my brain, you know? Yeah. And pass it all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so where are you situated in the country? I am about 30 minutes east of Pittsburgh, PA. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very nice. And what do you do? Tell us a little bit about yourself, well, your background and your current position and what you do for for fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> let's see. I, I, I really do honestly like to do the work and things that I'm doing for fun. I know that for some people they, that just sounds so strange, but I have been teaching at my school for, I just say a long time now, but I've taught French. French was my major in college. And then when I couldn't get a job just teaching French and I was substituting for a while, I got my certification in Spanish and then after about three years of subbing, I found the job where I currently am, and I was teaching French and Spanish. So then I, yeah, and so then I also teach a STEAM course about emerging technology, mm-hmm. which people are always thinking, how did the, how does a Spanish teacher mm-hmm. teach augmented reality, virtual, you know, all of those topics? And it's because we got a grant, and so with the arts being languages, that was the connection, but it worked for me because I was always very much into technology and using it in my classroom. So uh, I teach. I'm also an attorney, uh, consultant, and then in the last year and a half, I've become an author and a blogger and you, <laughs> a multitasker like no other. And uh, But I don't have a clone. Everybody always says, do you have a clone? I, I don't. There is only one of me. But so uh, how does that work that you're an attorney and I'm still like, my mind's still like baffled by that. Yeah. And, and most people think that I, and I don't know why, like they think of it this way. I guess maybe it's a more natural consideration to think that somebody was an attorney first and then went into teaching uh, because maybe they decided they wanted to teach law or something. But I actually was the teacher first. And then when I got my certification, in Spanish, I took courses at a, a local university here, but also I took some down at the University of Pittsburgh. And through those courses, we had, I was going to become a translator. And so you had to do uh, medical and business and legal translation. And I just started to get this interest in the law. And I, I guess also because I used to read a lot of John Grisham novels too, mm-hmm. that probably, <laughs> mm-hmm. probably, you know, got the mind thinking, but, uh, yeah, I thought about it. I took the um, the test to see if I could, you know, the law school admission test. Didn't know what the score meant. Never applied. Let it go. And then when I, you know, a couple of years later, I just got to thinking. I wonder if it's something I would be really interested in. So I, I had to take the test again because that score was too far um, back. And got the score. Didn't have a clue if it was good or bad. Uh, you know, like with all standardized type tests. And then. I applied to Duquesne, which is in Pittsburgh, because they had an evening program. Uh-huh. So I was still teaching full time, but I went to law school for four years, four nights a week. So, so after teaching, you've never really been a person who believes in sleep, is what you're saying? Uh, yeah, that's like <laughs> that is probably uh, yeah. There are like three questions that I'm asked most often. That is probably the number one <laughs> question: is Do you sleep? Uh-huh. Yeah, I do. I don't. I I know I don't sleep enough, but I do sleep. But uh, yeah, it's funny. So, Rochelle, our podcast is focused on the little things that make a difference in educational reform. And so, you know, just wondering what your thoughts are about that topic. Like, if you could recommend from your vantage point that schools do some things, especially now, what would those little things be? 
Oh, well, I mean, one thing that I think is really important, I heard this yesterday from Dave Schmidow, who's a friend of mine, and, and he's, he's heavily involved in a lot of things in education. And I, I won't quote him exactly correctly because I, I wrote it down and it's not nearby, but he was talking about you know, the importance of getting input from everybody who is impacted in the sense that, okay, we have a new school year and it's distance learning or hybrid or whatever all of the challenges are. And he said that whenever you give people a chance to have input, it's easier, like you don't have to worry about getting buy-in because you you give everybody an opportunity to share you know, what their feelings are or their frustrations or whatever and to have a voice. And I think that that is something that, I mean, for me, when I first started teaching, I often, well, I shouldn't even say often. I mean, primarily, I was just teaching the way that I wanted to teach, the way I had been taught. I wasn't open to other suggestions or anything like that. And thankfully, I changed because now my students kind of run the show some of the times with their ideas. But I think that is something, it's so easy to just stop lean in and listen. Mm -hmm. And I think that is um, a, a really important thing to do. And I know when I say it's easy to do, sometimes it's it's not because sometimes you have an opinion or you want to, you know, express something or we're frustrated or whatever, or we're excited, whatever it is. But I think especially now to just pause and really lean in and listen is something that we can all do um, for sure. Well, and, and like you said, Dave mentioned that buy-in piece what a what a difference that makes if you like you said stop leaning and listen and you get right. that buy in that was a little thing in some ways but really could have big impact when you're trying to look at improving your school making a difference for kids in their learning i i love that idea because it's something that we sort of take for granted sometimes is that relationships and the and the communication and getting on the same page and allowing other people to have a voice love that right yeah, and I actually just, as you were talking about it, I just remembered how he said it. And he said, when you let people weigh in, uh, you you don't have to worry so much about the buy-in. Mm. And again, that might not be the exact words, but I thought, you know, you're right. Like when you give people that chance to just weigh in a little bit and talk about it, you don't have to spend so much time trying to convince everybody of something. Everybody feels that they've been represented or, or valued in a discussion or whatever it is. Mm. So how are people, how are you finding people weighing in when it comes to returning to school? Uh, kind of all over the place. It really, it's been interesting to see. I mean, who would have thought at the end of the last school year compared to now that we would be, I mean, hopefully we were thinking, yeah, we're back in our classrooms mm -hmm. and back to the normal start and all of that. And then over the summer, there have just been so many things that have happened, some really not great things and uh, some great things that have happened in, in terms of education in the world. But people are definitely, I've noticed, speaking out more on the different platforms and spaces that are available for us, I mean, not just as educators, but as people uh, and having conversations. And I've seen a lot more of people that I'm connected with who didn't necessarily speak out a lot or share what they were doing or even openly share frustrations um, with others doing that more so. And I think that that's just so important because you know, if you keep yourself in isolation, mm -hmm. which is something I did for so long, you feel like you're the only one that's going through something. And when you do that, you're not just impacting yourself, you're impacting those that you lead. And that could be students or colleagues. And um, 
So it's nice to see that people are really being more vocal in sharing what's working, what's not working, uh, and everything in between. And I think um, we are in a situation where being isolated is an even bigger possibility as, you know, some of us are forced to still work from home as some of us are, you know, being isolated from community. And uh, I, I think you've hit it right, you know, the nail on the head there in that we, we have to continue to expand and use these different tools we have so that our voices can be shared and ideas and, and continue to kind of expand. I think that's one of the reasons we've come to, you know, that's one of the reasons that we get up every morning, right, is to expand and to grow. And right. without that connectivity, I think it is it is kind of hard. I was going to ask you, because I, I want you to have a chance to brag just a little bit. So <laughs> looking at the, you know, your book, um, Charter New Course, but also even just your most recent blog where you talked about versatile tools for blended learning. I mean, in both mm-hmm. of those cases, I think that those are, you know, pieces of learning all of us need right now. Can you talk about those, either one of them or both of them? Yeah, it's it's interesting because I've had a couple of my friends who've written books or blogs or things. And when you write some of these things, it's not, I mean, a book, for example, the book, my Insta book, I finished writing it, uh, well, probably nine months ago, and then it came out in March. And then so many of those ideas you could actually just pick up, and it's kind of funny with my books, all four of them I say, you don't have to read from cover to cover. You could flip through and find mm-hmm. something that kind of catches your eye, an idea or whatever. And that's the same thing with the blog for the versatile tools. Mm-hmm. And I, I love just sharing ideas of whatever it is. So maybe if somebody's been thinking about augmented virtual reality, and we know there are there's so many tools out there, but who has the time? I mean... I have a little bit of time to explore them because I <laughs> like do. to do that. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's why I do what I do is I want to make it easier for somebody who maybe is thinking, you know, what I'd like to do AR VR, but I don't have the time to find it, so I'll wait until later. And we have such a great opportunity at the end of the past school year where we could just try anything because what what do we have to lose right. at that point? It was right. an opportunity to do something different. And now I think it's the same thing. And so whether it's the blog or whether it's something in my book, being able to kind of pick it up and just read through a quick description and see something that resonates with you. So maybe you're thinking, oh, I wish I had a tool that did, and you have four or five different things and you find one tool and you're like, wow, it does Mm -hmm. all that and more. And it's not that you have to use so many different tools and all the things. I mean, We don't want to overwhelm students and families and educators, of course, but being able to find something that does a lot, especially, and I think this is essential too, is finding either methods, and it doesn't have to be the technology, it can just be the concept too, but if it's a tech tool or if it's a strategy, that if we do have to transition back and forth between we're in our classrooms, we're distance, we're hybrid, when you have tools or strategies like, say, project-based learning in place where you it's not going to cause such uh, a disruption in learning because you can use those anywhere, um, assuming, of course, that students have access and families have access. But I just I like that there are so many opportunities out there. I mean, for teachers, we don't have a ton of extra time. We need to spend the time figuring out, are these tools going to work with our students and look at all the privacy and all of that? But it's so much more valuable when we put it into their hands and let them take it and kind of run with it in their own direction Mm -hmm. and find something that's interesting to them. And I mean, over the years, I've had some students who say, I hate technology. And I, I think, 
but you're just always on your cell phone. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't get it, but they find something that it, it kind of resonates with them or they're able to create and they retain the content information so much more. But beyond that, they also build all of these essential skills that they need. I don't want to say 21st century skills because of what year it is right now, but these skills that they need for not just the future, but clearly for now, because we are in this blended learning or fully distance yeah. learning environment. Yeah. And, and I want to go a little deeper if you don't mind ask some specifics, because when I was reading through some of your work, especially the blog where it mentioned when I first tried flip classroom and I just assigned a video for kids to watch <laughs> yeah. at home. Right. And you had kind of right. an aha moment that that quite, you know, wasn't quite enough. And to be honest with you, some of us are in this place where we've never dabbled in, blend, you know, the, the flip classroom or this blended learning. So can you right. talk a little bit for our listeners about what were, what was that awareness that you had and how did you make some changes to try to build that engagement and, and go a little deeper? You know, what's so funny is as you were saying that I thought, oh, there was another thing that I thought I was doing right. And I was totally doing wrong. And things I wish I knew, I thought, oh, I could write a book about that, but I'm actually already writing a book about things I wish I knew. So oh. but with, uh, with the flip, yeah, I, I used to, because I, I thought that I was just, I was saving some time in class. Instead of showing a six or eight minute video, for mm-hmm. example, I thought, oh, I'll have the students watch it at home. Mm-hmm. Then we can do some follow-up activities in class. And uh, well, the one reason I kind of changed that is because my students, a lot of students, they would complain when they had to watch a video in class, which I totally didn't understand because when I was in school, we were always excited to see a movie. And I, and I don't even say video. I mean, it was the projector movie. So, <laughs> uh, so that goes way back. But what I realized is I, I caught a couple of conversations of students coming in asking their friends, well, what was it about? Or, you know, so they clearly didn't watch the video. Mm-hmm. So there was no accountability piece. I mean, mm-hmm. I had hoped that they would watch it, but realistically they weren't. And so when I realized, okay, that's not really flipped learning. And then I, I did some research and read some blogs and things. Um, John Bergman and Aaron Sams, who, you know, did a lot of writing and some books about flip learning and realized, okay, I need to do something a little bit differently. And so then I started to find some tools where you could still assign the video, but you could make it interactive. So students were, of course, accountable. But as a teacher, you were also being able to kind of track and see what their responses were and then follow up with that based on what their responses were to a certain activity or lesson that you had assigned. So that definitely was an improvement, uh, but it was also something that I was able to use when I did stations in my classroom, Mm -hmm. because then I could use those same tools and have different activities for my students instead of me standing in the front doing the exact same thing or saying the exact same thing to all of them. Uh, So it definitely, it was one of a long list of many things that I was totally wrong about, or I didn't realize I was actually kind of doing in my classroom. I just didn't know what it was called. What were the, what was, what were some of the interactive tools that you used to get students to be more, well, to be more interactive with their flip phone. Yeah. Uh, one of the, the first ones that I used was, it used to be called EduCanon, but then it changed to be PlayPosit. And then also EdPuzzle is another mm-hmm. one that I've used. Mm-hmm. Now, more recently, Nearpod also added the feature in that you can make those same type of interactive lessons within a Nearpod lesson too. So it's nice that you have so many possibilities that are out there, uh, depending on what you want to do. I mean, some of them, they're not always free. There are some that have a free component and then of course the paid. So it depends on, you know, what, uh, 
what your needs are or in terms of budget, of course, considerations. But it's nice to have some different options for that. And uh, it, I think it was more fun for the students as well, even in class, because then I could see even in stations as they were working through it. And if they paused and I, they had kind of a, a look on their faces as they had a question, I could step right in. And so when I was doing stations in class using those same tools, I, I've said this so many times, I really felt like I was able to teach every single student every single day, which mm -hmm. made a huge difference. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to step back from it and give you kudos because what I think also holds us back is that we're unwilling to try because we don't have it right yet. We have, we don't have it perfect. Right. And, and the truth is we never have it perfect. We no. have to get in to find out what we know, what we're good at and what still we need to know. And, and I'm just throwing it out there that we've been pushed into this landscape that, that requires us to take some risks. And uh, so there's no shame ever for any of us who've done something and we're like, Oh, that didn't go as well as I had planned <laughs> because now we're better because of it. Right. And, right. and that's another thing I think that's really important as we continue to to look for ways to serve our students. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, and, and I read this too at some point where if you're, if you're waiting for the perfect moment, you've already lost your chance or something like that. And again, I didn't get it right, but it's, you know, there, it, the time is never really going to be mm -hmm. perfect. I mean, you can get as close to, and you think, oh, I have all the information now, but you, we do have to take those risks. And it is scary to do that sometimes to try something because you feel like, oh, I don't know the answer. And I laughed the other day. I had a conversation with somebody. Actually, it was yesterday. On uh, we had My guest was Tom Murray. And we were just talking about taking, taking chances and taking risks and making mistakes and owning up to them. And I said, that's one of my favorite things in my classrooms is that I can laugh when I make those mistakes with my students and it's good for them to see that. Yeah. Like, it's okay to not know. I said, but it took me a really long time to get to that point. And so if I advise anybody of anything, it's don't keep to yourself, you know, be willing to try something and definitely ask the students if they have a better idea because a lot of times they do. Yeah. And by you owning the mistake too, you're demonstrating for them, it's okay that they own their mistakes and grow from it and ask questions and get better. Right. Right. Absolutely. We have some learners who are in that, I guess, if you want to go back to the fixed growth mindset kind of conversation, but they, they feel like they can never make a mistake and that's not a great place to be either. No, definitely not. Rochelle, um, you talked a little bit earlier about, you know, the time when we were uh, all doing distance learning pretty much and um, how it was kind of like no holds barred. Um, I'm wondering, Tracy and I were just talking about this a little bit earlier because I was saying, you know, I think that everybody thought maybe this might change teaching uh, permanently and make it better, make it stronger. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that's that it had that kind of effect? Or do you think that we've just kind of gone back to business as usual? With a different uh, tool? <laughs> yeah, you know, a couple of months ago, we were talking about that as well and thinking, we kind of got used to, okay, this is what school looks like now. And this is how I'm doing, you know, doing things in my classroom and everything. And I, I said, even myself, I wonder what it would look like if we went back to the physical classroom space or whatever, if, if our, the ways we had been doing things, well, some of them aren't bad, but if we would lose that kind of, you know, I'm going to try something different. And I think it's, I think it's a mix right now, just mm -hmm. because for so many people that were hoping to be back in class, now they're online and having to learn all these different tools and platforms or learning management systems to kind of facilitate all of that and trying to wrap your head around, okay, 
how do I now really take everything that I would normally do at the start of the year and put that into this digital space and teach the students that are maybe in my classroom because we're hybrid, but also the students that are home and do mm -hmm. all of that. So I, it, it's interesting just to hear all of the different experiences that are going on. I mean, not just across the country, but around the world from some of my friends who they're back in school and school's normal. And then there are some that they haven't started yet. They have two more weeks and everything in between that too. It's, I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how things kind of progress over the next couple of weeks and fingers crossed that things come back to what is more of a normal type of school experience. I don't want to say the new normal because <laughs> there, there are a lot of words out there now that people are starting to say, oh, please don't say this is mm -hmm. the new normal yeah. or, or pivot. <laughs> <laughs> Some of those words that get tossed around without thinking. Yeah. Um, yeah. What uh, if if you could get down to the nitty gritty? Um, what you talked about augmented virtual reality. What are some tools that um, you've seen teachers use successfully that you're recommending teachers use successfully virtually or in a hybrid model? Um, you talked about, you know, changing the way that we approach flipped classrooms. So it's a little bit more interactive and there can be that accountability piece. So what are some things that you would recommend that teachers put into place? Yeah, whenever I've, I've talked about ARVR or write about it or anything, I always think about how did I even start with it? And the first tool that I used that got me into that area was actually Nearpod. And it was a great way to start because it has lessons available. It has all these 360 images and even has 3D objects. And so it really does. For all of my students who would say, can't we just go to Spain right now? And I say, you know what? Yes, we can. <laughs> and they're like, that's not what we were thinking. But again, with the time factor for teachers to be able to access lessons that are already made or to quickly take something they have, whether it's a Google presentation or a PowerPoint, and then just push that into a platform like Nearpod and add in some of these different places where even if we're not in our classroom with our students, it's a lesson that can be done live if we're meeting virtually or it can be done student pace. And so you are immersing them more in that experience because they can explore it on their own time. So that's... The, the one that I always recommend. Another one, CoSpaces, which is for creating your own virtual environment. And the best part about it is that it has a feature similar to what you can do with Google Slides where you can collaborate in real time. So you could have not just your students in you know wherever they're learning from collaborating on the same project together. You can set your classroom up with students from around the world and create a space. And it's just amazing what we can do with technology. Uh, and I think that using a tool like that also helps students to feel not so kind of removed from learning with their classmates because they're actually working together on something and of course building those digital citizenship skills and their collaborative skills mm -hmm. um, in the process. And then there's just some other fun ones. I had recently well, recently now has probably been about five months, but put together a blog of, I think it was 15 ideas for AR, VR. And when I did it, I was trying to focus on ideas that weren't just for use for education, but that families could also use just to learn about and have some fun together. And that was, again, back probably in April that I did that because I thought, you know, what better way to connect the, uh, the home to school and to have parents and, and, you know, children kind of learning together about these different technologies that are not going away. Actually, just this morning, I was reading a couple of different articles about all of the different ways that 
you know, the AR and the VR are going are, are being used and will be used in the future. So it's important that we help our students understand like what's the benefit and how can we use these for good. Yeah, there's so much and it continues to expand. Uh, we have one last question. And that is, if you could travel in a time machine and go back and talk to your younger self, what advice would you give your younger self? Oh my goodness. It depends on how much younger myself, <laughs> how much younger I was. We'll, we'll say a younger educator, not a lawyer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I mean the, probably the, the biggest thing would be to get out of the space that I kept myself in. And, and I... I stayed isolated for a, a long time because I was afraid to make any real connections because that had not been my experience as a student of what I'd seen with, with teachers. But the other piece was that I was having some challenges with student behaviors and just balancing all of the things that being a teacher requires. And I was afraid to ask for help because I was embarrassed. I thought that people would think I was a terrible teacher. And I figured it was easier to kind of just keep to myself, try to work on it and hopefully work through it. And now knowing what I know, especially over the last five or six years that I've become more connected, I see what value there is mm -hmm. in that. And not just for me professionally, for me personally, but the bigger piece of it is what it has been able, or what has, I should say, it has enabled me to do in terms of bringing in different opportunities for my students that if I was still keeping myself to myself in my room, I, you know, what is, yeah. it would be terrible. So I wish I, I said it yesterday too to somebody, I said, I wish I could go back and change that because what a difference it makes. Of course, back when I started, we didn't have all of these places and spaces to connect with other educators. And so that's, that's the number one thing that I would, I would say is just put yourself out there and find somebody to connect with, especially now more than ever. That is so important to have that support for ourselves and to be able to provide that support for our students and our colleagues too. Yeah. Nice. Well, thank you so much. And, uh, as we've already talked about, we see that you are a very busy person and <laughs> for you to carve out a little time to talk with us, we are so grateful. And we want to just remind people to go out and check out your books. Uh, your most recent one I have down is chart a new course. And it sounds like you're working on a new one. Uh, and, and just thank you because again, this is another way that we are able to make some connections and try to avoid that isolation. And, and so thank you. We're grateful. Rochelle, will you say your name for us? Because we said it at the beginning of the podcast, but we're not sure we said it correctly. Oh yeah. Rochelle did any post. Oh, so okay. She, he said, yeah. <laughs> I had the short O sound. So. Yeah. It's, uh, the, the way that people tend to remember it after, we try to come up with hints or something. Yeah. They say that Poth took an oath because when I went to law school, that's the oh, only thing okay. over the years. Yeah. Yeah. Very I good. don't know. <laughs> well, it was a joy talking to you and yeah, connecting. You and uh, thank you so much. Good luck with all of your various projects. Yeah. Thank you. And thanks for uh, taking the time to talk with me today too. I appreciate it. You bet. Right, Have a care. good rest of your day. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.